Amen. Amen. Wow. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen, church? Good morning to you. Philippians chapter 4. Would you look there with me, please? Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians and the fourth chapter. Philippians is uh, no doubt one of my favorite books in the Bible. And the fourth chapter is a tremendous chapter indeed. Some of these verses you will know by heart, I know. Uh, I've entitled this sermon simply, A Missionary's Letter. And I want to pause for a moment and say this to all of our guests that are here today. Thank you so much for being here. We are in Missions Month, uh, Stewardship slash Missions Month, where we really focus in on carrying the gospel around the world. The Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature God told us to do. And so this time of the year, we stop and we focus on that. And I want to remind you of something that some of you may already know about, others of you may not know. In the uh, east corridor of our sanctuary building here, uh, we have a hallway that we have dedicated as the Hall of Prayer. And in that hallway, you will find multiple letters all along the wall from our missionaries. We have several missionaries that we partner with on a monthly basis. And you will find letters there. And I would encourage you, if you have not been through there in a while, those uh, letters are updated as we get new ones from our missionaries. There's a lot you can learn from a missionary letter. Obviously, you find out how the missionaries are doing. You find out any special prayer needs they may have. But you find out some things to really give praise and thanks for, too, because often they'll record uh, in those letters when they've had souls saved... And and things that they're doing in the uh, countries that they represent us in. And they are an extension of us. They're part of our ministry. And so I hope that you get by there and do that. As I was uh, studying Philippians 4 and the Lord began to lay on my heart uh, to speak to you, I, I entitled it a missionary letter simply for this reason. Paul was on his second missionary journey when he started the church at Philippi. It started, you might recall, from a ladies' prayer meeting. Can I get an amen, ladies? From the ladies' prayer meeting that Paul attended there, he went and found them. They were praying, and then he began to tell them about Jesus, and several of them got saved, and then we start uh, seeing this church grow. Paul now, as he writes this, is in prison in Rome. And there's a lot we can learn about a missionary, the missionary's heart, from this letter. And we're going to take just the fourth chapter, the majority of it, not all of it, but just the fourth chapter, and we're going to pick it apart, kind of go through and dissect it. When I first started getting this from the Lord, I was sitting in my study at home early in the morning, and, and I'm asking God, God, show me what you want our people to know uh, about missions, and as we close in, I mean, this week is mission conference starting Wednesday night. We'll have some missionaries here. Next week, we're going to have one big service, not the two services like we've been having, but next week, we go back to one uh, just for that week, and the reason we're doing it is because we've got all four missionaries that are going to be here. We want to give them a chance to have a part in the service and we want everybody to benefit from that and rather than try to split the two services we're going to have one big one starting at 10 o'clock okay I think that's right is that right where's my staff 10 o'clock is that right Amen. so we've been advertising okay 10 o'clock and uh, so that's what we're going to do next week but let me share this with you as the Lord began to show me this chapter I started out with three main points and you can tell from your study sheet that changed there's seven of them on there. 
And so the more the Lord began to show me, I finally kind of stopped. And in my, in my own time with the Lord, I said, now, Lord, this is turning into a series. And uh, I'm not sure what you want me to do with this. So this morning early, I mean very early, I'm in my study looking over everything, asking God, you know, God, what, how in the world am I going to get through all seven of these things? There's just, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And, and then I felt like he said, I just want you to cover half of it today. And so all God's people said, <laughs> and so we're only going to make it through to the beginning of the fourth point, okay? So if you were really sweating, looking at that outline, thinking, how in the world is the preacher going to do that? Then uh, you don't have to worry. But uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in verse number two. So take a look at your Bible with me, verse number two, and uh, uh, read with me. And before we read, let's pray. I think that's important. Let me stop and pray. Father, we, we love you. We come to you today and we ask your blessings. God, as we look at this chapter, we are in need of the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray, God, that he would be our guide. I pray that you would illuminate those things to us we need to see or cause us to leave here today understanding missions better and understanding missionaries better and understanding what you would like to do through us better than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse number two. I implore Judea and I implore Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord and I urge you also true companions help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now I want you to help me with something. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say isn't it amazing how the pastor speaks those names. When he doesn't have a clue. Keep going of how they are to be pronounced. I, I do not know. And so if your name is Euodia or Sintichi, I don't know. And maybe you can uh, shed some light on that later with me. But uh, point number one in your notes, you want to write it down. There are, there are seven thoughts that we will gain out of this chapter. Today, again, only the first four that we will look at. The first one is how he labors. We're going to talk about how Paul, as a missionary, labored. And look at what he said in that text. We just read it. He talked about Euodia and Sintichi. And, and he said, I want them to be of the same mind. And then he said, I urge you also, true companion, help these women. Now, the role of the woman in the Philippian church was a very important role. And I, I thank God for our ladies and the ministry of our ladies at our church. Amen. They're incredible. And, and all that you do, and we, uh, we just, um, uh, we just should, should thank God regularly for our ladies and the ministry that they have, the prayer ministry, the uh, Bible studies that they conduct, how they are always there willing to volunteer and do so very much. And we thank God for you. I already mentioned to you that this church actually began as a ladies prayer meeting. Now we find a couple of ladies mentioned along with Clement, uh, the Bible says. And these ladies, they're apparently having some struggle among themselves. And so Paul is urging them, the word is important in the English, in the Greek, it is a term parakelio, which literally means I want to encourage you to get together, to be of the same mind, have the same opinion. Now I want to stop for a moment and point this out to you. This is extremely important that we as a church make note of. There is nothing a church can do 
to impact the kingdom of God like missions. And having said that, let me just go farther. That means that the devil trembles at the thought of a church increasing its missions. Now if the devil is bothered at that, it means he's going to start bothering people. And if he can get a church divided, if he can get people divided in their opinions, then before too long, he's got a group that cannot function. And so Paul says, I want to take a moment and say this to you, that we've got a couple of ladies who are not on the same page. Get on the same page, he said. And then he goes further and he says, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Now Paul had what we would call a missions team. This is team missions. That's what Paul's talking about. Many of you are familiar with, of course, the first missionary journey involving Barnabas and, and early on John Mark. Later, of course, there were problems with that and he went out with a second team which involved Silas and then he picks up Timothy along the way and here we start talking about others. Paul referred to them as his fellow workers. Did you see that? And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, if you're a teenager or a young millennial right about now, you should write out next to that that Paul had a squad because that's the way they refer to it. He had a mission squad, man. And, and they worked together as a team. And, and that's an important thing for us to understand. We have a couple of missionaries that we help support. One of them is about to be presented to the church because he's already been with us. The other one we already support. And they're, they're part of a team ministry in Ethiopia. And so you're going to find this from time to time. So let's use this as a teaching moment for our church. You're going to find people who come in here and they're going to, as missionaries, they're going to present to you their work and they're going to tell you that they're part of a team. And as team, as a team, they will work together to accomplish the planting of churches, just like Paul did here, uh, this church that he is writing to in Philippi. And so we understand that there is a, a team emphasis. But then he said, help them those who have labored with me. Now, what exactly the role of these ladies was, we're not told. The, the role of our ladies in our church just uh, uh, spreads throughout the ministry. And so when we think about the role that they play, we don't know exactly what it was, but I can make some suggestions for you. I can tell you that even now and recently our church had a lady come through. She's a missionary to Guatemala and our church helped her out with getting her back to Guatemala. And she focuses in on ladies ministries and children's ministries over in Guatemala. And so we will have people who do that. Now what these ladies did and how they worked together as a team, I'm not real sure. I can tell you this, that in Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, we find some ladies that were following Jesus who ministered to Jesus of their own substance. That is, they were financially involved in supporting the work. And we see here in Luke 8, verse 2, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, Susanna's an easy one, amen? <laughs> Mary's pretty good too, that's pretty easy, but all right, so anyway, Susanna and many others who provided for him from their substance, did you catch that? From their substance. You know, a lot of us do not really stop to think in terms of when we see a missionary, what did it take for that missionary even to get here? And yet we're aware if you go down to, to uh, 
uh, the place with the mouse just a couple hours from here, uh, Disney World, it's going to take you some money. You've you got to get down there. And if you go up to the gate and try it again, it's going to take you a whole lot of money. And, and so it just it, we know that. We're aware of that. If we go anywhere or travel anywhere, it's going to cost us. We're aware of all that. So sometimes we don't go. Sometimes we, so what does a missionary do then? Do they just not go to the field because they don't have it to go? Or what is it that they do? No, because of people like these and people like you who are involved, they're able to accomplish what it is God's called them to do. And so we find here a, a missionary team involved. So how he labored in the work is noted for us. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. And here, I want to wrap up this first point with you with this emphasis. The Lord is at hand. Now, in any particular sport ministry that, that or our sports ministry or a sporting game, you, most of the time you have some kind of clock, don't you? I think even curling has a clock, doesn't it? Does curling have a clock? And how about those men? Amen? Amen. Curling. Yeah, we don't know what it is, but we want it. <laughs> and I'm very glad we've got a gold medal. I know curling. I grew up in the South, man. We don't know what curling. Well, anyway. All right. I'm still puzzled about all that, by the way. That'll continue to bug me. But there's a clock involved. If you watch a, a basketball game, you've got a shot clock. If you're uh, in a, a football game or you've got uh, a hockey, doesn't matter what it is, you've got this clock that's ticking away. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you there's a clock that is ticking today and it's ticking for the Lord to return. And when he returns, our opportunities will end. They will be over. Done. Paul labored with the clock in mind. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. I ask you a simple question. If not now, referring to missions, if not now, then when? When? Next year? Will the Lord wait that long? The following year? When? If not now, then when? Then secondly, I think there's an important point we need to drive home. Not only how he labors, do we see here, but how he lives. We catch a glimpse of that in verse number 6, starting there. So look at verse 6 with me, how the missionary lives. He said in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, <clears throat> whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now let me pause a moment and talk about this point with you. How he lives how he lives. Paul said, look, I've come to this place in my life where I've learned that, that I do not need to have anxiety over issues. Be anxious for nothing. One of the things you will note about missionaries, and I, I might say about any mature believer, whether you're here in our church or you're a missionary listening to this, those missionaries that will come through, is they have developed an effective and powerful prayer life. A prayer life. And when you give things over to God, you worry less about them. When I was a kid, I grew up uh, singing all kinds of choruses. They even let me sing with them uh, when I was a kid. You know, that was pretty good. 
And I remember one particular chorus and it said something about why worry when you can pray. Some of you remember that? That old chorus? Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus. He'll be your stay. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Rest fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray. The truth is that there's a connection between our worry and our prayer life. The more effective your prayer life is, the more you're depending on God, the less you are worrying. Amen? Amen. So Paul says, look, I've learned this, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I love this, because sometimes we leave out the thanksgiving part. We're pretty good at producing our list to God. God, would you please do this, 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 this. This is what we'd like for you to do, Lord. And, and, uh, and we leave out the fact, oh, wait a minute, Lord, let me spend a moment thanking you. Because you've done all of this. And so the Bible is very clear that it is with thanksgiving that we ought to involve our prayer time. And may I add one thing to this list, please? Something that took me years to learn. Maybe some of you are still struggling with it. I don't know. Maybe others of you have mastered it. And that is that, that prayer is actually a dialogue, not a monologue. And so pause long enough when you're praying to listen to God. Amen? Amen? It's a remarkable thing. You'll hear all sorts of stuff. You'll hear the Lord speak to you about verses of scripture. He'll put thoughts in your head and in your heart that just simply says, I've got this. There are times that that peace will overwhelm you. And that is what I believe Paul was referring to when he said, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, the fact that it passes all understanding is amazing. It, I have dealt with people who have lost loved ones. I've dealt with people who have been through tragic events in their life. And when they're a strong Christian and they're depending on the Lord, they will say something to you like this. And some of you have done this with me as your pastor and as your friend. You, you've made this statement. I've, I've heard you say it. You know, I cannot explain it, but I am at peace. You know what you're saying? It passes understanding. I can't quite figure out why I'm at such, shouldn't I be troubled? Shouldn't I be aggravated and frustrated? And No, no, no. Not if the Lord's involved in it and you've got a relationship with him of one of dependency and you've already taken it to him, then he's given you that peace. And the Bible says it keeps your hearts, and this is a very important part of it, and mind. And mind. You say, why are you bringing that up, Pastor? Because I want to tell you that the battlefield for spiritual warfare is the mind. And the devil will lead you to believe that things are going to be uh, worse than they are. And he will exaggerate everything and cause you to worry. You see, as God is out to help you understand you have no need to worry, the devil is out to try to make you believe that you have every cause under the sun to worry. To be upset, to fret, to panic. While God is saying, I want your faith to increase, the devil is saying, I want your fear to increase. Fear is going to be, without a doubt, the biggest deterrent of our increase of our faith. When the Lord steps on the scene and he tries to get us our, our faith to increase, and why is it important that our faith increases? When the Lord steps on the scene and tries to get us to exercise that faith greater, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 15 and 16. Some of you have heard this verse before during this month, but I'll read them again, these two verses. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope. What is this hope? Listen, that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in 
in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in other man's sphere of accomplishment. So as our faith increases... And we begin to trust God to do through us what he might not necessarily do for us or to us. And we begin to get more involved in missions. Then the Bible says it increases the regions that the gospel goes to even beyond where they are now. We get more people associated with East Point ministry by adding more missionaries. And we begin to see those souls saved in regions in areas we've never even reached or been to areas we'll never go to but areas we can send somebody to and this is an important part I think it's a choice a choice I uh, came across a saying by John Calvert some of you may have heard this some years ago in 1838, he was sent uh, on a mission work. He was a Methodist missionary and sent to the Fijian Islands. And so he was going to Fiji and uh, the captain of the boat stopped him as he was about to depart from the boat and he told him, he said, there are cannibals on this island and if you go, you will die. Those who are with you will die. And there was a famous line that he responded with and he simply said, we died before we came. We died before we came. Now he did not die at the hand of the cannibals. As a matter of fact, an interesting thing happened. He and his wife labored among them for 18 years and they actually won the king of the Fijian Islands who later, before he passed away, turned the island over to Great Britain. And it was a remarkable story of people being saved uh, in, uh, on the island of Fiji. But, but the, the point being made is this, that some of us will not go if we do not die to self. We will not give if we do not die to self. If we've not already made up our mind that we're going to live for Christ and not live for self, we'll not be any more involved than we already are and we'll never get involved to begin with. We died before we came. Number three, if you'll look at verse number nine with me, please. Verse number nine. Actually, I should not have skipped over verse eight. It's an important part of it, but it talks about meditating on these things. What occupies our mind is really a matter of our choice. Would you agree to that? You have to choose that you're going to spend time on that. And so Paul is encouraging us and encouraging the Philippians. He's saying there are some things that you need to focus on. If there's anything noble, if there's anything just, if it's pure, if it's lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue in it, if anything is praiseworthy, then meditate on those things. Spend your time thinking about those things. Now this again is in direct uh, opposition to the worry that tends to go on. Is it not true that when we worry and when we fear, we're often looking at what we don't have instead of what we do have? And that's an important point going back to the thanksgiving that was offered earlier. We'll look at verse 9 with me for a moment and we'll look at the third point, verse 9. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, the third thing we're going to focus on is how he leads. How he leads. 
So we've talked a little bit about his labors and about his life itself, the principles by which he lived, the choices he made concerning what occupies his mind. And now I want you to see this thing of how he leads. He said, I, I, I want you to do the things you've seen me do. Now this is, this is very important that we understand and, and, and grasp because I'm afraid we have in our society today and in our world today more people who... Um, who have the mind of uh, Cain than the mind of Paul. Uh, remember Cain's mindset when God shows up on the scene and said, uh, Cain, where's your brother at? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? Of course, he had already killed his brother. And he was saying, in essence, I, I, don't, I don't need to be accountable for anybody else. I don't, I don't want anybody accountable. And so we live our lives sometimes, even as Christians, where we believe, you know, hey, don't follow me. You do what the Lord tells you to do. I do my thing over here and, and don't necessarily do what, what I do. I kind of grew up with a uh, philosophy in our home. My dear dad's gone on to be with the Lord. Um, I can talk about him because he can't reach me from heaven. And... Uh, <laughs> But I grew, up in a, I grew up in a home where I was told things like, hey, you do what I tell you to do, not what I do. You do what I say, not what I do. Now, later in his life, he began to realize the hypocrisy in some of that. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, people ought to do what we do. That wasn't a very big amen. I'm going to say it again. I'll give you another chance. People ought to do what we do. And what we do, we ought to be doing. Amen? Does that make sense? What we do, we ought to be doing the things God would have us do and therefore set the example for others to do what we do and not have the attitude of, hey, don't do what I do. You do whatever God tells you. You ought to be doing what God tells you to do. Therefore, you ought to be able to say, do what I do. Amen. Amen. There's a wonderful verse of scripture found in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse number 1. It's a very short verse. It says simply this. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, I began thinking about that and I thought, you know, this is a very interesting point. Uh, uh, we're not perfect. Nobody here is perfect. If, if, if anybody is perfect, would you please raise your hand? Do we have anybody here that want to see at the altar after you raise your hand? Because <laughs> none of us are perfect. We're not trying to say that we're perfect. But we ought to be focused on the fact that somebody is following our example. Amen? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, there's an important lesson in all of that, and that is this. You should never be man worshipers. You should never uh, do what people do without keeping Christ in view. If they are following Christ, then you should do what they do. If they're not following Christ, then obviously you ought to exercise some leadership and not follow that pattern. Paul said to young Titus, this is an interesting passage, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. He said, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. 
So Paul said to Titus, Titus, set an example, a pattern of good works. You know what a pattern is. A pattern is something that other people can trace or do. It's like a template where somebody else can produce the same thing over and over and over again. So Jesus came as our pattern. And if we pattern ourselves after him, shouldn't others be able to pattern themselves after us? Charles Spurgeon made this statement. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. We're missionaries. Maybe you're sent across the street. Maybe you will give to send across the world. But we are all missionaries doing the work that God has called us to do. And we should imitate Christ and therefore others imitate us in what we do. I want to tell you a little story that I came across. It's a story of a new missionary to Venezuela. He was very excited about getting down there and so he went. He did not know the language and he was late getting to the church that he was supposed to be attending that day and so he comes in late. The place is packed. The only seat available is right up front right up front and so he went in again not being able to understand all that was going on so he had determined that he would simply do everything that the man next to him was doing and then he would be safe so he saw the man open up the hymnal and so he opened up his hymnal he tried to look to see what page he tried to find the right page he responded as others were responding and every time this man did something he would do it well, during a certain portion of the service, uh, the pastor was up and he believed that, according to his own account, that, that the pastor was making an announcement of some kind. And then he uh, asked some sort of a question. He could determine that by the way he was speaking. So the man next to him stood, so he stood. And when he stood, he began to look around and realize they were the only two people standing. So he sat right back down. When the service was over, the pastor greeted him at the back door. And of course, he knew he was a missionary. He said, you are not familiar with the language here yet, are you? He said, no, was it that obvious? He said, well, uh, I asked for uh, a particular man. I announced that uh, our, our church had just had a new baby born. And I asked for the proud father to please stand. <laughs> And so, yeah, it was pretty obvious you, uh, you didn't understand. My, my point is to imitate those who are imitating Christ. Let, let me ask you a, a sobering thought and a thought-provoking question. What would East Point Ministry be like if everybody was a clone of you? Would it be a more faithful church, a more dynamic church? Would it be less faithful? What would it be doing concerning missions if everybody was a clone of us? How you lead. Paul said, I want you to do the things, verse 9 again, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. You know, it's a powerful thing when you hear a testimony of somebody in the church who has stepped out on faith and they say to you, they say to the congregation, they say to a class, an ABF class, somebody, they say, you know what, I didn't used to believe God could do this, but I stepped out in faith and trusted God and he did, he blessed this, he did that. It's a powerful thing when we line up within our actions what we say we really believe and others take note and follow. So, how he leads. Very important thing we learn about the missionary, Paul. And then last of all this morning, I want to touch on this point with you and we will go into the others next Sunday as, as part two of the sermon. But I want to touch on this with you. I want you to look with me at verse 10. 
the Bible says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now I've entitled this particular point, How He is Loved. How He is Loved. And I, I want to challenge you to consider something. I want to challenge you to consider how you love missionaries. I want you to consider with me some things here as we wind this service down for just a moment, this part one of this missionary letter. And I want to ask you about your care and your love for missionaries. You know, love, it is said, can only be defined by the action that it prompts. Would you agree to that statement? It's hard to define love. Have you ever tried to define love? It can only be known by the action that it prompts. When you think about God's love, how do you explain God's love? Well, most of us would go to John 3.16. Or maybe Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We would, we would talk about the action that proved that he loves us. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions again, just in thinking with me for a moment as your pastor. I want to ask you as a church, do you love missionaries? And if you do, is there an action that backs that up? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do some begging with you for a moment. Can I do that? But I'm not begging for your money. So all God's people said, well, amen. That's okay. <laughs> I'm begging for your love. I am begging for your attentiveness. I'm begging that you move to even a new level in this. I'm begging as a church that we participate in the conference this week. Begins on Wednesday night. There's something happening Wednesday through Sunday. And let me tell you what they are. I have intentionally sort of wound this sermon down a little bit so I could take a moment and do this begging with you, okay? Because I think it's part of it. I think this is, this is where we are and we need to know that this is something God would have us do. Can I, can I share some observations with you? Over the, the many years that I have pastored, some 35 years, I've learned this. I've learned that missions for a church is very similar to tithing for individual families. Now, let me explain that statement. Just as when a family steps out and learns to tithe in obedience to the Lord, God blesses that family, I believe that when a church steps out in missions and is obedient to the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel, I believe God's blessings are poured out on that church. Now I want to tell you something. There's a part of me that's a little bit selfish. Because I really want God's blessings on this church. I really want God's blessings on your family. Man, I pray for that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I pray, it's true, I pray a little selfishly sometimes. You know, God, it's not hard for God to pour out his blessings. It's not more difficult for him to open up the windows of heaven and pour out such blessings that we cannot conceive. And, and it's not harder for him to do that than it is for him to turn the lock on that window. It takes just as much strength and power by God to do either. So why not pray that he opens it up? Amen? Amen? 
if we don't understand this thing of missions, it's not going to happen. A couple of years ago, when I became your pastor, it's been three years now, a little over three years, I started noticing that our church for a few years had kind of not really focused much on missions. We were down in missionaries and so we started a little emphasis on faith promise missions. And then, and, and the thinking was this, we knew when we started seeing God bless us, can I just sit down and talk with you a minute, is that okay? We, it's okay? All right. I'm going to do it anyhow, so I just thought I'd ask. When uh, we started seeing God bless our church and was leading us people, we knew we, we needed a building. And, and we knew that something was happening and, and we were not going to be able to contain everybody in one service unless we did something. And, and, but then I, I felt very strongly that it was wrong for us to put ourselves before the Great Commission. So that's why we started that first year of my ministry with you to focus on missions. Then in the second year, just a year ago, we said, okay, let's focus now on the building. But our response to the building was incredibly different than our response to missions. We haven't even been doing the building program for a year yet. And we already have almost half of the commitment, over half of the commitment right now. $436,000 has come in. Amen. Our response for ourselves was much greater than our response for the world. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just giving you an observation. I love you. There's nobody loves you more than I do. I don't, your spouse don't even love you. No, I'm just kidding. I, I love you. I really do. But I'm telling you that as a church, there's something here we need to pay attention to. That when we sacrificially give, and many of you have, we are motivated, man. We want that new sanctuary. And I, I think that's wonderful. But what if God comes before we ever lay the foundation? What have we done to reach the world for Christ? He's not going to ask us, how'd you guys do with that big old auditorium down there? But he is going to ask us about what we did with the Great Commission. Do I have a legitimate point? I, I love you, man. Nobody, I'm telling you, I love you. But we got to get this thing in proper perspective. We got to bring this thing back to balance. What would have happened had we had the kind of response to missions that we had to the building? Incredible. I know, I know. Now, here's the benefit. When we move into that new building, and we will, and it's going to be exciting if the Lord tarries. It's going to be thrilling to see God pack that place out. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be something just awesome. That's the only word I can... It's just going to be fantastic. But we still have the Great Commission. So let's teach others. Let's model it. Let's say imitate me as I imitate Christ. Let's, let's say this is what we've learned to do. This is something we've, we've grasped. So I'm begging you. I'm begging you that come Wednesday night and Thursday night of this week, the church is providing dinner. It's not even going to cost you anything. Just come and, and eat Wednesday night. And we're going to listen to two missionaries in here Wednesday night while two other missionaries are going to be teaching over in the children's area. Then on Thursday night, we're going to get back together. And yes, we are bribing you with teriyaki chicken. We are bribing you. I admit it. We're bribing you. I admit it. 
Thursday night teriyaki. The kids are going to sing. But that doesn't get us as excited as the teriyaki chicken. And then we're going to have a great time. No cost to you. Thur Thursday night. Uh, 5.30 dinner will begin and, and 6.30 the service will begin and then on Friday night we're going into community points and there's one here at the church as well if you don't know where the others are and, and there's, these are times missionaries are going to be assigned to each one so you're going to get to sit down informally with a missionary and just chat with them and talk to them and hear me please love them love them Saturday morning we have a men's prayer breakfast where the missionaries are going to be here. The ladies are taking some trip. Uh, when, when are you going, Gail? When are the girl? Huh? Friday. Friday. They're going out taking the lady missionaries. And any of you ladies that want to go, you can go with them, man. Go and they're going to St. Augustine. They're going to have some kind of little trolley ride or something going on. They're going to have a great time. <laughs> Saturday, though, the, the, the men are going to get together. we got men's prayer breakfast, which, you know, we, come. It's, we're going to hear from the missionaries. They're going to give their testimony. And we get a chance to love on them and listen to them and pray for them. And then right after that, we're going to have a little work gig going on. We're going to lay some sod and plant some flowers because Sunday is coming. And Sunday is going to be a massive day. We're all going to get together. you got to come early so that you can sit in here and not in the overflow. So come early. And move in and move up and allow room for people to find a seat. And starting at 10 o'clock, we're going to have an awesome service. We're going to hear from the missionaries. And we're going to finish out this sermon. <laughs> we're just going to love on the missionaries and their families. How would you feel if someone came to you and said, Later today, we're having a service. We're going to get together, throw a party in your honor. And we are going to let you know how wonderful you are. And how excited we are for who you are. And so you show up 5.30 this afternoon in the gym where all of it has been planned. And three people come. I know that's an exaggeration, but I'm Irish and we do that. <laughs> we exaggerate a little. Just a little. My point is, if you have a mission conference, to say that you love on the missionaries and you only have a few show up, does the message sort of contradict itself so I'm asking you to do this if you're a business owner shut down your business early enough to come and rely on God to bless you if you work a job and you can't get off early go to your boss and tell him you got a mission conference you need some time you need to get away in time to be here if you can take the day off and have to take the day off, I'm asking you to prioritize missions and watch God do something. I'm asking you as a church, I am begging you as your pastor to show your love this week for missions and missionaries like you've never shown it before. And let's see what happens next week, next Sunday. Let's see what God does in a church that loves the way I know you guys 
really do love. Let's see what happens. So that's my begging. There's one other thing. (laughs) I'm begging you to pray. As we close this service, I'm asking you to pray. Pray for the conference and pray for the missionaries. Pray for those who will be here this week. Pray about your own involvement. Whether you come and pray at the altar right now or whether you pray in your seat, I'm just asking you as a church, let's go to God and let's pray. If you're here today without Jesus, let me just say this to you. I know this is not really just a gospel message. It's about getting the gospel out and we would be doing you a disfavor by by not giving you an opportunity to respond. And so during this time, if you feel in your heart you want to know more about this gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and how you can make him your Lord and Savior, if you would like to know more about that, then we want you to come today during this invitation time. Take me by the hand, I'll be right down front, and just say to me, Pastor, I want to know more about that, about being born again. And we'll rejoice over that. Will we not, church? Wouldn't that be incredible? And so you do as God leads, but let's pray together. And and let's love missions this week like we've never loved them before. Would you stand with me? Father, we come to you, Lord, and we ask you to bless. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. God, my mind goes back many years ago as I heard Brother Dan Pride share with me how God had impressed it on his heart to begin a church, to plant a church. I had no idea back then, Lord. Some 30 years ago, I had no idea that one day you would give me such an honor to stand here as their pastor. So God, I thank you for that and I thank you for what you're doing in this church. The people you are leading to us, the opportunities you have given to us, the blessings you have poured out on us. And I pray today, God, that we will be found faithful in your eyes. That we will love the missionaries and we will love missions. Do a work in us that you might do a work through us. In Jesus' name, may God bless you as we pray.